the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes people to stumble, and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a, cho but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Living godly lives in a pagan society. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thanks. I'm a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's not a board game, it's a role-playing game. Um, if you ever want to play Dungeons and Dragons or you want to try it out, contact me. I'd love to help new players play Dungeons and Dragons. And I've been playing it for five years and ever since I've been trying to get an example surrounding Dungeons and Dragons in my sermon. And I had one for today, but it was too long, so I cut it out. I'm sorry, it will come at some point in the future. Uh, but I thought I'd just let you know. Um, we are in a series about um, in the city, not of the city. Uh, I had an uh, all summary prepared, but you, you did it, that's great. Um, and Kuhn spoke last week about being in exile. And he spoke about um, an appreciative attitude towards the city, um, about being a dynamic counterculture, culture, counterculture, about being radically committed to the good of the city. Um, you can put the slide up if you want to, it's fine. Um, and today we're going to continue that message by talking about the role of priest. Um, but before I'd like to take uh, a small survey. When you think about the idea of being in the world and not of the world, what is the part you struggle with most? So who of you, when you think about being in the world, having an appreciative attitude towards society, towards the city, uh, see what is, what is going on, um, have a positive uh, vibe when you look to society. Who of you struggles with that? Because I, that's, that's the one that I struggle with. Uh, I find it hard to see 
uh, the good in things surrounding me. I find it hard to um, not step in an us versus them dynamic, even with I like being countercultural. I preach about being countercultural. And I realize it's often been in an against dynamic. Like we are different and you are wrong, which is a big leap. So if you think about being not of the world, think about being part of the city but live different, not being engulfed in um, the distractions, the diversions, the way of thinking, the way of living, the temptations of city, of uh, today's society. Who of you struggles with that? A few, great. Um, today we're going to talk about the role of priest. And for me, the priest, the role of priest is about the way we worship, the way we live. And I think, um, when I was preparing this message, I realized that the role of priest is actually a, a sort of practical um, way of um, engaging with the world that, that actually empowers me in both areas, to be in the world and not be of the world. So I hope it fills in a bit more about the message last week. Um, I was very inspired by this book for this sermon, uh, Stefan Paas, Vreemdeling and Priesters. There's also an English version uh, called Pilgrims and Priests. So if you like the message, maybe you can read the book. Um, this is where credits where credit's due. Um, but before we uh, continue with uh, priest, I want to spend a bit more time unpacking the metaphor of the exile. Because the exile was actually a very important period in... Um, uh, uh, Jewish history. You have the Exodus, which we read about in the Bible, and there's this whole period, the exile, which is a bit more fuzzy because we don't read much directly about it, but it was highly influential for Jewish society. The way we see Jewish society function in the New Testament is largely the result of things that happened and processes during the exile. Um, people were forced into uh, Babylon, and they had to find a whole new dynamic. Uh, you can go to the next slide. And the next one. That's great. They had to find a whole new dynamic, a whole new way of living. They were thinking like, okay, what are we doing here? We are in this different place. And they needed to think about their identity. How do we live? Um, we're different. We're the Jewish people. What does it mean? And they had a whole new spirituality. Suddenly they uh, moved away from the temple. The temple was destroyed. Uh, there was no way to sacrifice. And they were in a foreign land. How do you please God if you can't sacrifice goats? It's something they had to think about. And this was the period where synagogues, uh, the idea of synagogues emerged. And where um, uh, the idea of studying the law and the scripture over having sacrifices emerged. This is the, the, I believe it's also the time where the Pharisees as a, as a group came up because of studying the law. And thirdly, they had to uh, rethink their view of God. For many Jews, the idea of God was also tied to the temple. That's the place where God was. And they knew God was God of the whole earth, but now they were suddenly in a new place without a temple, and uh, they realized God is here as well. 
We're outside the borders of our land, and God is still here, and we get to worship him and praise him. Now, the most important um, sort of change in theology during the exile um, is the idea of a messiah. It's also the period that the idea of a messiah really came up, came up for. It, it, it took root and it blossomed. There is someone coming to set us free. Um, and that's based on uh, um, the second half of Isaiah, where Isaiah speaks about the suffering servant of the Lord. And um, it's often, it was often um, uh, presented as being Israel. The suffering servant of the Lord was set in the world to be a light and a mediator. And Israel was to take that place. And over time, it gradually grew into, okay, maybe it's a person. Maybe someone is coming to be a light in this world, to be a mediation and to set us free. So that's why, basically, between the Old Testament and New Testament, the idea of a Messiah uh, came up. And one last thing, one important thing about the exile um, that I'd like you to, to give to you to think about. Um, the exile was on purpose. The exile didn't happen to God. It wasn't a surprise. Oh my goodness, they're taking my people away. What's happening? No, he, he knew. He was the one sending them into exile because of their disobedience, because of their breaking of the covenant. But it also was a way for them to shape his people in new ways and give them a new mission because they had to rethink all this stuff. So if we use the story as an exile for our place today, uh, for us as living as um, Christians, as strangers in a society that doesn't believe, that usually doesn't accommodate, that is indifferent or unfriendly, um, is it on purpose? Did God bring us into this place of secularism, of postmodernism, of post-Christianity to teach us something? to shape his church in new ways and give us a new mission in the world. Now let's talk about 1 Peter. It's a letter written by Peter, because his name is on, uh, above it. Um, and in one verse 1 it says, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. He is sending a message a letter to people scattered through different provinces, and he calls them exiles. And there are more places in this, uh, in, this, in this Bible book, in this letter, where he calls them strangers in their communities, exiles. Um, so Peter is using the exile metaphor as well for the people he addresses with this letter. Uh, the Greek word is diaspora. So these people lived in hostile communities. It's a letter that, that's also about persecution. You're being persecuted. Keep up. So this was a message sent to people who are on many levels strangers in their culture. They were not a separate people taken from one place to the other. But they were uh, different because they had an encounter with Christ. And their lifestyle changed and their beliefs changed and their actions changed. And suddenly they were a stranger in their society. And Peter sends them this, lesson, this letter. 
And then he says, he says to them, okay, you, living as exiles, scattered throughout the provinces, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And the idea of a holy nation um, is something he took from the Old Testament, from Exodus. Exodus 19. Um, where Moses is on Mount Sinai, and the Lord says to Moses, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell to the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So there you have it. God's possession. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. And God also says, the whole earth is mine. So what does it mean to be a royal priesthood nation? The priests were a class in Jewish society that uh, served God on behalf of the people. So if you as a people are priests... Who are you serving? Who are you representing? I think it's the world. The whole world is mine. The whole earth is mine. And I set you into that as a nation of priests. So they were to be priests to the rest of the world. And then Peter takes this, this message to the Jews in, in, in Exodus and links it to the church. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Now, there's this thing in history that's called replacement theology that says that church replaces Israel as God's people in every way. And I think that's a very flawed theology. Um, but the way that Peter links um, this old message to the Jews, to the church, is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Jew that came from the root of David, the root of Isaiah, um, that um, was basically the, the, the promised Messiah that stepped into, his, into the world to be a light and a mediator and starts a church. That's a big step as well. But um, that's, that's the link, the link between Israel as a holy nation and you are also a priesthood. You are also a holy nation in God's possession. So we're talking about exile, we're talking about priesthood. What does it mean today? Like Israel during the exile, taking on your priestly role empowers you to worship differently, spirituality, to live differently in your identity, as strangers in a non-believing society. That's what we're going to look at today. In the next I hope it's going to be 20, 25 minutes. We will explore three aspects of this priestly role so that you can um, find practical ways to worship and live differently in this world while not being of this world. So what did a priest do? Very broadly, a priest represented the people before God and he represented God before the people. Representing the people before God by praying and by sacrificing. 
and he represented the people before the, God before the people by teaching and, and, and blessing. So if you apply this to ourselves, um, what does it mean for us? Those are the three things I would like to, to take on today. Representing the people, the city, before God. This is about the way we worship. Representing God before the people. This is about the way we live. And as a third aspect, I'd like to add, what does it mean to be a church of priests? And this is about the way we are community. So it's about worship, life, community. Can you remember that? You think you can? Yeah? Good. Representing the world, the people, before God. A priest was to serve God on behalf of the people. Israel was to serve as a kingdom of priests on behalf of the world who doesn't know him. And Peter actually says in his letter, okay, you are a holy nation, you are a royal priesthood. What do you do? You worship, you praise the Lord for what he does. For taking you out of the darkness into the light. And the Greek word is, is called excellencies. Praise God's excellencies. In Dutch translation, it often says, praise his good deeds. And I think that's the, um, the first role, the most important role of church, is to worship God for what he has done, for his excellencies, for who he is and what he has done. And then as a priest, we get to do that on behalf of the world, on behalf of the city, of the society. So it means the appreciative attitude. See what's good in this world. See what's, what's, what's beautiful in this world. Look at nature. Look at creativity. Look at art. Look at science. Look at community. And see what's good. See what's happening. And praise God for that. Because we are praising God on behalf of a world who doesn't know him. And then as a priest... You can invite people to join in that. Often we go to the world, as we call it, and say, you are missing something, you are sinful, you don't know it yet, but you will find out because we're going to tell you and you need Christ. It's not a message that I personally like. Um, it works sometimes. Um, but here we can praise God for what is good in this world and then say to the world, come on, join in. This is beautiful what you're doing. Thank you. Would you join in in praising God? Now, there's worship in a broad sense. It's joy and gratitude. But it's also about prayer. About bringing the grief and the pain and the questions and the confusion in the world before God. So as a priest, in your priestly attitude, who are you praying for? What do you pray for? What do you praise God for? Can you praise God for the good in this world, for the beauty in society? If you worship with a priestly attitude, um, you worship on behalf of a world, of a city who doesn't know him. So maybe think about that. What am I worshiping God for? What am I praising him for? Who am I praying for? Who am I lifting up before him? Your neighbor, your fellow student, your colleague, your friend, your children, your parents, your neighborhood, your city. 
And a practical thing to, um, that maybe helps is to look back with an attitude of gratitude and thank God for what's going on. To look around with an attitude of love. Who can I pray for? Who can I lift before God? And look forward with an attitude of expectation. Because at some point, God will make everything new. He will redeem the city. He will redeem the land. He will redeem the earth. And everyone, there will be no non-believing world. And that's something to look forward to and to praise God for, that he is on this, working on his plan to, to accomplish that. So that's the first aspect. Worship with the priestly attitude, because you are representing the people before God. The second one, representing God before the people. This is about life. This is where Peter says, live good lives among the pagans. You scattered exiles in the provinces. You are different. You are changed. You have a different lifestyle. You have a countercultural lifestyle. Um, not in an us versus them. But because we know a different God and we know a different life. So as, a, as you represent God before the people, it means how do you model God's will and intentions in your lifestyle? How do you follow the example of Christ as his disciple in your lifestyle? It's about loving, serving, sacrificing, blessing, be patient. Help, pray, share your faith, have compassion. That's what Jesus did. And we get to follow his example before the eyes of the world. Now maybe at this point you're saying, Matthijs, I don't like being different because it's hard and it's weird. And people say funny things to me, they say unfriendly things to me, they might even be hostile. And that's true. Living in exile is not easy. Being different from a world that demands conformity and everyone needs to be the same and think the same and do the same and post the same things on Facebook or Instagram or X, Twitter, whatever, is different. But to me, it also gives, gives rest because it's okay to be different. It's okay to be weird to the world. It's okay to not... Um, it frees me from the, 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 the urge to keep up, to be relevant, to, to, to try to be the same as everyone else. So that's the question for you as a priest, living with the priestly attitude. How do you live your life? Whom do you talk to about your faith? Is it your friends, your family, your colleague, your neighbor, your city? Um, do you ask people, hey, I'm praying for you. What can I pray for? Do you um, follow God's example in the way you live? You treat people, you talk, you make decisions. Recently, I, um, a few months ago, I came across a man. His daughter was in the same dancing class as my daughter. And we had to wait until the dancing class were over. And um, I like Star Wars, and he liked Star Wars as well. So that's 
that was our connection. Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons, wow. Um, and, he, and at some point I was reading a Christian book and he said, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to know a bit more about the Bible because I don't believe religion is not for me, but I'd like to uh, be able to explain it to my daughter. And I said, okay, um, would you like to read the Bible with me? Okay, so that's what we do. Every few weeks we meet up, we read a passage from the Bible, and he talks about what he reads, which is usually very negative. Um, and I tell about what it means to me. And it's just happening. And it's not uh, a strategy, it's not something that I look after. Uh, my wife had to push me into, okay, you need to read the Bible with him, that's okay, you can send him a message. Um, because I was too hesitant. But it's just something that is happening. And now I can represent God before this man. And I can uh, tell him about what, what we read, what it means for me. And I hope and I pray that he will um, see God as well and meet Christ as well. So live with a priestly attitude to the people around you, to the city. The third one, being a church of priests. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are not a sort of loose collection of several of individual priests, you know, who hang out every now and then because they like to, but if you don't like to, you seek something else. Now, you are a holy nation. You, as a community, are a royal priesthood. Now, the idea of um, the priesthood of every believer that everyone gets to read the Bible and gets to pray. It's a, historically a very important notion after the Reformation that um, you don't need some, some, some high-powered guy who's the only one who can read the Bible, who's the only one who can pray, who's the only one who can bless, who's the only one who can take communion or serve communion. And that's a really important notion, but it's, it's, it's something that's beyond the individualistic. We are priests because we are part of a holy priesthood. And as humans, we are destined and we are purposed to live in relationships. And as priests, we are destined to live our priestly role also as relations, to relationships in this community. I believe that God's is, the church is God's vessel and his tool for building his, his kingdom and working out his plan in this world. So as a community... We get to represent the world before God. And we can only do it as a community. A few weeks ago, Hermine, you lead us, led us into prayer for Nagorno-Karabakh. And I would have never prayed for that region if you didn't step up. Um, and that's why I asked you to, to do the Bible reading, because um, it, 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 it um, touched me. Like there is someone stepping up to pray for some a region far away that she cares about and I don't know much about. So as a community, we get to represent the whole world before God. I can speak to people who like Star Wars. I have no way to talk to people who like opera, for example. So you are needed to represent the whole world before God. Someone needs to talk to the opera people. <laughs> and I hope they're in this church. And it's also the other way around. We need everyone 
every priest in this community to represent God before the people. Because everyone is different. Everyone has different interests. We are all made in God's image in different ways. So as a community, we are priests. And we get to represent, with all of who we are, the entirety of God before the people. In summary... We are priests in exile. And I don't mean that um, in a sort of complaining way that, oh, they're persecuting Christians because we can't do this or this. No, it's about a metaphor for living in a post-Christian, post-modernist society and to use it as a way to, like, to see what is my role as priest. We get to represent, we get to serve the city in our role as priests. And this starts close by, with your friends, with your neighbor, um, with people who are parents to girls in your uh, daughter's dance class. Um, and that's where we start. That's where we model Christ's example, where we model God's will and his plan and his intention. And realize that people might think you're a stranger. The people in Babylon were in a, in a, in a um, position of exile which made them really vulnerable. Daniel had a very high position in the court of the king, but it was also a vulnerable position. There was any whim uh, and change in, in, in how society and how the king thought about him. And um, he was put before the lions and his friends were thrown into the furnace. It's a vulnerable position, even if you're in a high place. Worship with the priestly attitude. Praise God for the good and beautiful in this world. Bring people before the Lord personally. Um, think about looking back, looking around, and looking forward, if it helps you pray and worship. Um, and live with the priestly attitude to people around you, to the city. Do good, live a good life, serve, pray, bless, help, be compassionate, follow Christ's example, live as a disciple of Christ. And lastly, you are needed in this community of priests to help reflect the fullness of God before the people and the fullness of the people before the God. So when I was preparing this message when I read this book by Stefan Paas, uh, a few things that uh, struck me personally. So I thought I'd share them with you because that's what I take practically from my role as priest and the idea of me being a priest. Um, it helps me to freely praise God for all the good and beautiful in this world, even if it's not on our Christian turf. It helps me to freely pray for people Bring the world, the people, the city before God in prayer. It helps me to freely have an appreciative attitude towards society, towards the city, towards persons and see what's good in them and see what God is doing and what God has put into this person. It helps me to freely partner and uh, step into friendship and relationships with non-believers 
because um, I'm a priest, we're all made in God's image. And it's helped me to freely be present in those relationships, to just tell about, okay, this is, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is what I can share, this is how I praise God, this is how I watch Star Wars. Um, just be present in those relationships um, freely. Daring to be positive and daring to be strange. So think about your role as a priest. That's your homework. Think about the people around you. Think about what you see and meaning and, and the things you see in your daily life. What to praise God for. Whom to pray for. Whom to represent before God. Maybe there are people you can invite into your worship, into your reading the Bible, into your personal connection with God. And think about the people around you. To what persons can you be a representation of God, of Christ? And then if you process that, start right away. Don't wait too long. As a closing, I'd like to um, show a video, a clip. It's a song. Um, from the Brilliance. Um, I didn't know them until I was preparing for my former message about injustice. Uh, I, um, uh, we watched a video by them as well. And I came, another, uh, came upon this video, which is about... Um, uh, it's eight years old, and it's dealing with the situation and the conflict between Palestinians and Israel. And um, for me, it's a, an example of representing the world before God and just saying, God, we see this happening. And this is what we want to tell you. This is what we want to say to you. Because we see people hurting and we want to lift it before you. So I think it was relevant eight years ago. And it's also relevant today. So that's why I want to um, uh, show it to you. Thanks. Express what we think about and feel when we watch this into a prayer. And the prayer that you've given us is this. Our Father is in heaven. Praise be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for your kingdom to come in Israel, in Gaza, and in the West Bank. We pray for your will to be done. We pray that whatever is happening now that's hidden will come to the light. Every injustice, every bit of false news that is coming out will be understood by the world. And as we think about what it means for your kingdom to come in this situation, in this century-long conflict in this situation. The whole world agrees on that there is no solution. As the people of God, we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your peace come. Let your justice come for all these people. We bless the reconciliation movement. It's uh, been happening for decades between Messianic Christian, uh, Jewish Christians and uh, Christian Arabs. 
who bless them especially in this time, that they may be priests in, to their people and model what it means to live in peace together. We pray for every initiative where Israelis and Palestinians meet together to hear each other's stories, to understand the other, to be able to want the best for the other. We pray for protection for those who are vulnerable on each side. We pray for the people that are in Gaza now between crossfires or that fled their homes, that are held captive by three different groups. We pray, Lord, will you bring a solution for them as well? We pray for protection for the nation of Israel in this time when enemies are on all sides and the threat is serious. We pray for the hostages that are still held captive. We pray that they may be released soon. We pray for the international community that's in meeting after meeting after meeting about what to do. Lord, let there be wisdom there, insight, in your guidance. And above all, we pray for a breakthrough of your gospel in the land. Whatever language people speak, whatever people that belong to whatever side of the story they're on, I pray for people that they may get to know Jesus. That they may be set free from hate. That they may be reconciled to God and become priests to their nations. Become peacemakers. Jesus, all of this we pray, and it's a lot. But we pray to the God who is above all things, who is the righteous judge, who is the redeemer, who is the good God that holds our lives in his hand, that holds the future in his hands, and that is moving the history of this world towards redemption, and peace to a time where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more injustice, when there is no more hate. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Amen.